are going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 12. And I invite you to find that in your scripture. Uh, It'll also be on the wall behind me. And if you would stand in honor of God's word as we read this morning. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the like of one of those by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah was afraid. He got up, and he fled for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And at that place he came to a cave, and he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. The word of God for the people of God. God. I'm going to share something with you this morning that you might not know about me. Uh, I am a party planner. Yes. I am. And before you uh, take notes about wanting to call me about planning your next event, I think it's important to let you know that I kind of plan like a general theme kind of party. It's kind of a niche market of a party. And uh, these parties that I plan usually are pretty low in attendance as well. Um, In fact, it's usually just me uh, at the party. So if that sounds pitiful to you, that is because it is. I am a pity party planner. I am. I have planned some great pity parties for myself, and I've invited others to attend often, but um, usually in a passive way, and they don't usually come. And so it's often just me and, and Ben and Jerry, the ice cream guys, because, yeah, that's on my bucket list every day, Teresa, to eat ice cream. So I imagine maybe some of you this morning are also pity party planners. Perhaps you've thrown one or two in your day. Well, in our passage today, Elijah throws a bit of a pity party here and there. But here's the thing. Now, I don't want people to judge me by one little part of my story, right? To walk in on my low moment. 
So I think Elijah would appreciate the same courtesy. So we're going to rewind a couple of chapters this morning uh, to a different time for Elijah than the passage we're focusing on today, uh, a time when things were going really well with him, for him and before he had the major meltdown under the broom tree. And we're going to see a very different Elijah. The, the Elijah narratives in the first book of Kings portray a prophet that's in continual motion. In the two chapters before this, Elijah is cracking skulls and taking names. Uh, he is making things happen. He is uh, speaking up boldly to kings and to prophets of Baal. He's performing miracles like raising people from the dead. He has um, this grand display with God where he prays for the fire of the Lord to come down and he burns up this water-drenched, water-saturated sacrifice in the middle of a three-year drought. And it's this grand display of God's goodness. And he also leads the slaughter of 450 of Baal's prophets. I mean, he is the MVP of prophets in chapter 18. But now in 1 Kings chapter 19, just a few days later, we find a very different Elijah. At the end of chapter 18, Elijah has run all the way to the city of Jezreel in front of King Ahab's chariot, leading the way. And at the beginning of the next chapter, he's running straight from that city, away from a woman who is out for revenge. And some of you may say that's what makes him wise, right? Well, it wasn't wisdom that propelled him. It was fear. It was fear. And the deeper that Elijah goes into the desert, that fear changes from an outward fear, Jezebel, to inward fears, the lack of belief in himself, this feeling that he's all alone and he's working and God isn't helping him and they're out to kill him. So why should I even continue on? Elijah literally goes from the mountaintop of Mount Carmel to the depths of despair and the valley of Beersheba. We've made similar trips before, haven't we? Yeah, we've, many of us can recall moments in our life when everything was going really well, everything was happening on all cylinders. We felt like God was with us, and he's working in our lives and the, work of, and the lives of people that we know and that we love and that we see. Our faith is strong and certain. And then something changes. Fear enters our story, and we take off running. But Elijah doesn't just run in no direction like I usually do. He had a direction where he was headed to the Mount of Sinai, Mount Horeb, where he knew God would be, a mountain where God has shown up before. He's shown up to Moses um, and, and passed by, he, where he gave the Ten Commandments. Elijah had had a mountaintop experience with God, and he was desperate for another one. But the journey was exhausting, and it was difficult. And Elijah, very early on in the desert, lays down under this tree, ready to give up. I mean, he was just running for his life, and now he appears to be ready to surrender it as well. Verse 4, he says, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And it is at this point when an angel appears to Elijah and says, Elijah, Elijah, eat a Snickers. <laughs> yep. When you're hungry, you're not yourself. All right? Now, you guys know this ad. If we could show videos, I'd show you one of the ads. But uh, it's basically this story. Incredible Hulk. You're always so angry, breaking everything, tearing your clothes. Eat a Snickers bar, and then you'll become Yoda. <laughs> I'm all calm and chill, am I right? Yeah, we all have an experience when we're hangry, that anger that comes from being hungry, or we just need a nap. Um, and that's what happens in this situation. The angel of the Lord comes to Elijah, and, and he sees where he's at, and he's like, the first thing I need to prescribe for you is food and a nap. 
Don't you love God? I mean, he understands us so well. He has wired us. He's built us. He knows what our needs are, and he takes care of that. We see that story throughout Scripture countless times. Healing, rest, food, safety. Our compassionate God knows what's going on with us and responds. And he knows that everything is made to work in harmony, body, mind, soul, and spirit. And when one of those things is off, it impacts all of us. God knows Elijah needs this this Sabbath before a long journey is ahead of him. Author Peter Scazzaro defines Sabbath keeping as an experience of the truth that you are not a doing machine, but a deeply loved son or daughter of God. God is not interested in simply using you to get work done. He delights in you. Elijah has been doing and doing and doing, and he is spent. Now, I know this pattern all too well, and I know many of you know this pattern too. And honestly, I'm not usually aware of it until I'm in the middle of it and I find myself raging at people on the road or being impatient over the slightest things, or having very difficult conversations with people without actually having them with them, or throwing a bunch of pity parties. And you have your tells too, right? You have those ways that you say things, what you say, the ways that you act, when you're living out of your life limits. I think one of the reasons that God commands us to practice the Sabbath is to keep us from becoming the worst versions of ourselves. Or at least that's what happens in my life. Sabbath-keeping is kind of like a Snickers bar from God. Here, here is a Sabbath. You're not you when you don't rest in me. So now rested and with a full belly, Elijah sets off for Mount Horeb to meet with God. And when he arrives, the Lord has a question for him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, the Hebrew puts the emphasis on the here part of that question. What are you doing here? Not just Mount Horeb, but this cave, Elijah. Why are you here on this mountain in this cave? And God's question, like usually his questions for us, is not a question where he doesn't know what's going on. It's usually a question to bring clarity to ourselves. There's something powerful about saying out loud what we're feeling and what we're angry angry about. It eventually gives us clarity. The more that we talk the more likely we will eventually get to the truth of it, right? The heart of the matter. And this is the case with Elijah. Elijah throws himself a pity party right there in the cave, complete with balloons and streamers. Oh, you want to know why I'm here, God? Okay, I'll tell you. Well, I've been working hard as a prophet, you know. And as for other Israelites, they aren't trying at all. They have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your your altars. They've killed your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are seeking my life to take it away too. Pity party for one. Your table is now ready. Now, while his initial response to God's question focuses on his zeal for the Lord, he ultimately reveals his true apprehension, and that's that they're out to kill me, to take my life. His fear is very personal. His concern now is for his own survival, not his prophetic calling any longer. The ongoing unfaithfulness of the Israelites that that brings him so much pain is not what's keeping him up at night right now. It's the fear that his life is over and that God is doing nothing to stop that. I'll be honest, sometimes I read Elijah's pity party in this text and I laugh. I'm just like, ooh, a little dramatic, don't you think, Elijah? And then other times I read it and I think, you tell him, Elijah, 
Amen. We've been working zealously for the Lord, haven't we? No one else is helping. We're working all the time. No one's coming to our aid. And I wish I had a life for you to take, God, but because I work for you 24-7, I don't have one to give. Pity party, table for two, right? So what is God's response to Elijah in that moment? Oh, I am so sorry, Elijah. You are the most wonderful prophet. <laughs> yeah, no. Not at all. Not at all. So God says to him, instead, Elijah, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah doesn't get sympathy from God. God doesn't hike up God's robe and sit on the floor and eat ice cream with him, which would be really cool, but it's not what happens. Instead, Elijah gets a call to step out of a cave, the cave, and to experience the presence of God. Okay. Boy, this is what Elijah was hoping for, right? I mean, this is why he came to this mountain and to this cave, because this is where God showed up to Moses, and he is the same. I wandered in the desert just like Moses. I've been promised that the Lord is going to be passing by. This is it. I, 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 I can see him at work and experience miraculous things. So bring on the fire, Lord, right? Bring on the earthquake. I'm ready. But God is not in the wind. And he's not in the earthquake. And he's not in the fire. Yes, just weeks before, God was in the fire. Elijah prophets of Baal, King Ahab, thousands of Israelites saw it firsthand. It was real. It did happen. That is how he showed up. And I imagine that Elijah was expecting that same grand display, needing that same grand display again. But God was not in the grand display. God was in the sound of sheer silence. So as Elijah moves from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb, there God moved from a revelation through a grand display of fire to this understated, subtle revelation. And this change marks a significant way in which God communicates with his people. Professor Lawrence Turner writes, There is a definite movement from the loud and spectacular to the subtle and understated. It is as if before Carmel, God was an American, and afterwards, he was an Englishman. <laughs> loud, subtle, understated. Elijah had just been intimately involved in some of the grandest displays of God's power and glory, and it wasn't enough to sustain him. He still finds himself in a cave. The hype is not enough to sustain us. The noise is not enough to meet the deepest desire of Elijah's heart and of our heart, which is the sheer silence teeming with the presence of God. Now, we, we live in a world saturated with displays and noise, don't we? So how do we carve out space for the silence of God? How do we cultivate space to experience God? First, I believe we must be ready for God to work in new and different ways than he has in the past. You know, Elijah expected God to show up the same way God has always shown up, but God is not limited to the past, and God doesn't suffer from nostalgia like we do. The novelist L.P. Hartley wrote that the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. The temptation for the church is to respond to present challenges and situations in the same way we did in the past. But if we do that, we may very well miss the Lord passing by. Pro Professor Turner writes, Calls for revival in the church are not only understandable, but also necessary. 
However, they carry with them the danger of thinking that revival means reproducing the past. That is often either desirable or possible. God engages us in more dynamically than that. What needs reviving is our courage to listen to God's still, small voice. When we do so, he frequently asks for a break from the past, from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. God is working in new ways all around us and in us, and we need to be open to this. The second thing I would say is we must learn to embrace a radical new way of living that does not see pressing pause as a sign of weakness or laziness or failure. Our culture and our churches celebrate high-speed lifestyles and subsequently see exhaustion as a badge of honor. Slowing down is a reminder that we are human beings, not human doings, and we have human needs and, more importantly, human limitations. Practicing the Sabbath reminds us we are not in charge, and we don't have to figure it all out. That's why we have a God. God is in control, and we can celebrate that and rest in that, which is what it means to keep the Sabbath, to celebrate and to remember that God is in control. And it's only when we slow down that we can recognize what God is doing in us and in our people around us and in our communities. And lastly, I would say this. The church needs to be an advocate, not an adversary, for this radical new way of living. What if our methods matched the message we're declaring, that God is not in the spectacles or the noise, but in the silence? How, as a people of faith, can we take away some of the noise in our lives and create space to recognize the presence of God? What if Christians were the most rested, most unhurried people in our world, committed to helping our neighbors live the same way so that we can recognize and respond to what God is doing in us and around us. Now, I am not going to pretend this morning that I have this mastered. You all know me too well. But I want to do better. I want to listen more. I want to linger more. I want to pray more. I want to practice Sabbath more. I don't want to miss the Lord as he passes by. And I definitely don't want to contribute to someone else doing the same. When we are stressed, burning the candle at both ends, and throwing way too many pity parties, whether as individuals or as the church, we find ourselves in a similar journey as Elijah. We listen to fear. We lack in faith. We linger in self-pity. And we long for the old days and the old ways where everything was better. All the while, God is very much at work, often in new and unexpected ways, and inviting us to join in. God's still, small voice is still very much alive and moving through those who are willing to be courageous enough to follow. So, let's keep on eating ice cream and having parties but may they be kingdom-full rather than pitiful. Yep. Let's pray. For our invitation prayer, I want to read Psalm 131, and may it be our prayer as we seek to live in the presence of God and to be Christ's love and hope. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet 
heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. Amen.